Welcome to Resilience in You with Beth Page. It's thought that challenges and uncertainty make us the people we are today. Where success comes in is how resilient we are in the face of adversity. Being resilient means taking a break, creating a sense of calm in our storm. You start today. Here's your host, Beth Page. Good morning, fabulous humans. Welcome to Resilience in You. My name is Beth Page. What if today is the perfect day, the perfect moment to cultivate resilience in you? Amidst these uncertain times, I'm delighted to be inviting Megan Scott uh, to join me today. And uh, before I introduce Megan, I want to acknowledge that I'm calling in from the ancestral, unceded, and traditional territories of the Halat, Penelicate, and Staminas families. These territories have been stewarded for centuries, and I am grateful to live, learn, play, and join you today from the territories these families have stewarded so well. Megan Scott is a fabulous human. She is the founder of Wayfinding Partners, a firm uh, that is dedicated to uh, amplifying uh, opportunities for racial justice with Black, Indigenous, people of color. I am uh, delighted to have this change luminary in the house today. Welcome, Megan. Thank you, Beth. It's wonderful to be here with you. I'm so I'm so grateful for the invitation and to be in space with you. Well, I'm uh, delighted to have you with us. And what do you want our listeners to know about Megan Scott? So about Megan Scott. I am a racial justice liberation warrior, an organization development practitioner, and an energy healer. Um, Those things, you know, amongst the other identities that I hold, sister, life partner, daughter, those are are the important things to know about me. and, And I am, I say, equally at home in front of a room leading a retreat, giving a presentation as I am in my wellness room, surrounded by my crystals and tarot cards and cauldrons where I make curative tinctures. Um, I am an accidental, but apparently not surprising entrepreneur, uh, owner of Wayfinding Partners, which is just a delightful group of people doing really meaningful work. Mm. And how lovely to have you here today. And um, and not to forget that you are also the parent of the four-legged pearl. I am the parent of the four-legged pearl. Pearl, I don't know if I can really say parent or servant of <laughs> pearl. You know, anyone who has a cat knows what it means to, to serve a cat. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Often, often the reference or the meme I see is the cats have staff. Yes, the cats have. <laughs> it, yes, we are pearl staff indeed. <laughs> Oh, wonderful. Well, as we uh, enter into uh, this week and this day and this conversation, uh, what's the story of resilience that um, you've been reflecting on amidst these times where we could all benefit from a little bit more resilience? Yeah, I appreciate that question and appreciate this opportunity for reflection And before I I go into some of what I've been reflecting on, I really want to acknowledge your acknowledgement. So thank you for that, your land acknowledgement. 
And um, we also strive to, to start all of our engagements with the land acknowledgement as well. And here in the um, Washington, D.C. region, we're on the unceded lands of the Anacostans, amongst many other, many other tribes and indigenous groups. And um, we do a, a fair amount of allyship to, to make sure that groups who are trying to reclaim their land have the, the voice and the, the platform to, to do so. So I really appreciate the land acknowledgement. Um, and I also want to acknowledge that this morning um, we awoke to the news of yet another unarmed black man who was shot and killed by police, Dante Wright, outside Minneapolis, and um, sending lots of thoughts to, to his family and to that community as we continue to fight for justice. Mm-hmm. So thank yeah. you for the space for saying that too. Appreciate yeah. It. Well, um, all um, lives are precious and um, uh, the death of any human is something that pos- presents a moment for reflection for us all. Yes. Yes. Thanks, yeah. Beth. So I've been reflecting quite a bit on how wayfinding partners came to be and thinking about, you know, what were the forces that, you know, got me to this place where I get to lead, you know, seven amazing individuals and create space for, for black indigenous people of color, for BIPOC to, to engage in this, this meaningful work. And it took me down this really cool um, pathway that I hadn't actually really been on to really make some connect some threads. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm so um, grateful for this opportunity for, for reflection. Um, and so I guess, you know, one of the things that's really important to, to know about me is that I've always been really attuned to change and really attuned to change at all the levels, systems, people, relationships, um, and I knew that I was always going to be working in social justice or the social change mm-hmm. sector in some form or another. Um, I've always been that sort of mission justice oriented. And I come from a family that's that, that's that way as well. Um, so some time ago, I landed at a foundation here in D.C. where I worked for almost 10 years and I, I grew up sort of professionally, um, you know, at that foundation starting there in my, in my mid-20s. And then you spend a decade in a place that's a lot of growth and development for, for a person to go through. And, um, you know, while I was there, I grew so much in my understanding about, you know, not only the D.C. region, but just about communities as a whole, sort of how communities can work together, what keeps communities apart, um, learning about the many different ways of addressing society's greatest challenges, you know, on the spectrum from individuals to communities to policy and government change. So during those 10 years, I got to um, really see the city and see cities in general from, you know, a balcony perspective, which really gave me some further grounding in, in how social change can happen and where social change breaks down, really. Um, and then I got further grounding while I was there in organizations by, by leading um, a capacity grants program in terms of how, how can we help individual or networks of organizations do their work better, 
around the same time, I decided to take that passion for organizational effectiveness and get a master's in organization development, which is how I met the wonderful Dr. Beth Page. Um, and then it was around that time that I was at the at, in MSOD at Pepperdine, where the foundation that I was working at um, was in a strategic planning process. And um, the conversation came to, well, how can we address the root causes of poverty or the root causes of the challenges that our grants have been seeking to address? And then when you really look at the root, root cause of poverty, looking at the root, root cause of homelessness or housing instability or lack of educational attainment or many of the other different program areas that we were investing in, you can't really help to, you know, to identify systemic and structural racism and, and structural oppression. You can try really hard to not say those words, but if you're mm -hmm. really trying to be clear and if you're really trying to be direct at the root of all of those things are structural oppression. And so um, I remember the day that um, I think it was our vice president mentioned structural racism in our board meeting. And you would have thought that like the world stood still mm -hmm. is like, you know, a sea completely changed. Um, but then the, you know, the foundation decided to, to go forward in that, that work. And, you know, I had had um, previous background in diversity and inclusion. My parents both work in those fields in a variety of different ways. Um, my dad was also a consultant and an author when it comes to racial equity. And so I was super excited to bring all of who I am. So, mm -hmm. you know, work around um, diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, some of my, um, my studies around, you know, African-American history, Africana studies. Um, and then, you know, of course, you know, being in an OD program, you immediately want to take all of your newly formed organization development strategies and knowledge to the work that you're doing. And so I was, you know, tapped to, to co-lead that with our president and CEO and was super excited to do it. And it was a wonderful opportunity. Around the, the same time, um, you know, I began learning so much more about myself than I think I really intended to be learning about myself or that I anticipated intended is not the right word, that I had anticipated learning about myself. And um, I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, which is a, a very white city um, in a state that has been named one of the most racist states in the United States of America. And, um, you know, as a, as a Black person, you can, I, one can, you know, in the Black community, we often tend to talk about how you can begin to become numb to a lot of racial injustices that happen to you on the small, you know, day-to-day -day -day scale to, you know, the, the larger daily um, or the larger, you know, systemic scale. And so, you know, one of the things that I was learning as I was, you know, engaging in education with our board and our staff about, you know, what is systemic racism and, you know, how does it show up? I found myself often, always, often, you know, often talking about my own story, you know, and yeah. so, you know, the moments were like, I was pulled over by the police for driving while black, or, you know, the moment, like the, 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 the fact that like, when I enter a store, I automatically take my hands out of my pockets. I don't even know, like where that comes from. It's just something that I automatically do. 
And so, you know, in educating and in holding space for my colleagues learning, I was reliving like traumas of being a woman of color. Um, you know, it, it felt like, like pulling a bandage off um, that I didn't know that I was wearing. And, you know, and suddenly like decades, decades of trauma that, you know, I learned to either ignore or to become numb to or to, to downplay decades of trauma were just like immediately rushing, you know, or rushing in front of me and just walking into them. And, um, and it became a lot, you know, the, the, the work of, you know, educating peers, the work of holding space for peers the work for educating leadership too, quite frankly, and, you know, being in the middle of an organization and any change process is, is difficult. Um, but that coupled with, um, you know, the awakening, I suppose, to, you know, what I had been intentionally or unintentionally stuffing and ignoring um, was, was almost unbearable. You know, I felt like I was being crushed beneath the, the weight of the emotional labor that I was experiencing for about two years. It was about two years. Um, my final two years at the, at the foundation. Um, and, and I, you know, became super burned out, just just super, super burned, super, super burned out. Um, and then, you know, there are many other dynamics that, you know, in terms of, you know, what it's like being, um, you know, one of the few black people in a um, predominantly white institution, um, you know, being a, um, you know, not, well, not only that, but being a black person in a predominantly white institution to an institution that's, you know, to the philanthropic sector that is, you know, very much so related to many of the systemic oppression, you know, dynamics that we're, we're talking about, you know, those dynamics are there, Um and then to be in a role where you are um, actively trying to name all of those things all the time and tame them while experiencing them, I, I like I just got super burned out, and I I had to I I had to leave, and yeah. um, it was an it was a natural transition. I was graduating grad school; it had been almost ten years, um, you know. But I would be kidding myself and others if I didn't say that you know the the work of, of co-leading the racial equity initiatives, you know, didn't play a substantial role in just the burnout um, and, you know, the feeling of, of suffocating and, you know, toxicity. So, um, so I left, I, I landed at a, a consulting firm um, with another one of my wonderful MSOD um, professors, um, faculty, and um, it was a wonderful place to land. And at the same time, I realized that it was less about the foundation where I was, you know, in terms of the, um, the feeling of, you know, crush, crushingness of the emotional labor. It was less that particular institution and more of the broader, um, the broader sense of just being in institutions that didn't feel like they were meant for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the emotional weight and emotional labor that that carries. And so I, I um, was there. And then, you know, I, I got super sick, actually, very, very sick. Um, and I, 
I woke up one morning with um, feeling like there was lava running through my veins. My, my body was on fire and I couldn't move. I couldn't move. And it, it took, um, you know, several days to, to be able to get out of bed, to go to the doctor. Um, and, you know, what, the, what it ended up being was a, a flare-up of lupus and a flare-up of fibromyalgia diagnoses that I had, but that had been under control, but the, 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 the stress of re-experiencing trauma, the stress of um, emotional labor, just my body was like, hey, you got to stop. You got to yeah. stop. Yeah. And it sounds like it was a pretty uh, dramatic message to the warrior <laughs> also uh, to stop. And so what unfolded for you from there? So from there, um, you know, I have a, a wonderfully supportive husband. He's, he's just the best. I'll keep him. Um, you know, we, we talked about how, you know, something has to change. Something has to change. Um, I can't keep driving the way that I was driving. Um, wayfinding partners had been a side hustle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so we, we thought about, all right, how about we turn this into a full-time thing where mm -hmm. you get to dictate the type of work that you want to do. You get to, I get to dictate the type of work I want to do. I get to dictate the, um, the partners that I want to work with, the pace that I want to have. And, um, you know, as the universe would, would have it decided that that's the this is the right path for you. And a, a wonderful client project just kind of fell in my lap. I didn't search for it, just sort of fell in my lap. And, um, and it was wonderful. I got to, to you know, bring all of, all of me, the part of me that likes to hold space, the part of me that likes to deal with systemic challenges and translate that into you know, changed human behavior. Um, it was magnificent and it was on my terms. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I remember meeting with one of my, my fellow cohort mates um, from my grad school program. And they looked at me, they're like, Megan, you look unshackled. You look, you know, like you look so free. Um, you know, I did all like my stop straightening my hair, had my hair natural, you know, all of the, the signs of, you know, of, of someone who's reclaiming liberation in a way that liberation means for them. Um, and, and I did, I, I felt substantially um, substantially free. And I wanted that for everybody. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so I, you know, how can I create a space where, where folks too can feel like they are um, able to seek their own liberation and whatever that means for them mm -hmm. um, while doing the work that they want to do, the work that they feel called to do in dismantling systems and structures of, of oppression, because this is a calling for anyone yeah. out there listening who is doing this work, it is a calling. Um, and, um, you know, as a person of color, this calling can come with, with quite the expense. Yeah. And so, you know, I wanted to create a space and I feel like I am creating a space where folks who look like me or who have, you know, different shades of me are, are able to, to be able to live on their terms, to work mm -hmm. on their terms. Yeah, and I'm uh, what what I'm uh, uh, reveling in as I listen to you is that 
uh, wayfinding partners is seeking to create liberation. And in building that business, you liberated yourself from a system that um, uh, presented microaggressions uh, and an opportunity to be a, a very lone voice uh, operating in warriorship. Yes. And in yes. service. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm enjoying um, just the alignment of bringing all of yourself to your work, to your business, to your firm, mm-hmm. and to the clients that you um, that are lucky enough to have you uh, working with them. Yeah. Thank you. Thank well, let's take a quick break and we'll pick this conversation up uh, on the other side. Sounds good. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. At Dreamcatcher Consulting, Beth Page helps her clients assess and build resilience initiatives that support and strengthen resilience. Visit dreamcatcher-consulting.com for more information about the resilience at work assessment for teams, leaders, and individuals in a company environment. Beth is an accredited Resilience at Work consultant in North America who works with clients from all over the world. Find your resilience. Reach out to Beth now at dreamcatcher-consulting.com. Check out and order the second edition of Change Happens. In business, many leaders have a great vision but find their companies are lacking adequate execution. Transformative Experts with host Chris Elias takes you behind the scenes with real-life business leaders and transformative experts who can pinpoint why. Listen to learn how company culture drives execution to optimize results. How can you afford to miss it? Tune in live every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And catch our weekly replay on the Voice America Influencers Channel, Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has a mobile app for iOS, Android, or Amazon Kindle. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. This is Resilience in You with Beth Page. We invite you to send questions or comments about the show via email to beth at dreamcatcher-consulting.com. That's beth at dreamcatcher-consulting.com. Now back to Resilience in You. And we're back with Megan Scott uh, talking about uh, this powerful work that she does uh, and uh, the opportunities uh, for nourishment to uh, be able to uh, continue to do this important work. 
because uh, emotional labor uh, has a cost. Um, doing work to to uh, address uh, structural racism, uh, systemic oppression, uh, calls for um, well-resourced humans. Mm-hmm. So what are your strategies and approaches for not revisiting that um, uh, physically um, dramatic period. Yes, yes, yes. And it's, it's such a, it's such an important point. Um, And one that I think often gets lost in racial justice, social justice work, um, the need and the importance of, of healing of, of nourishment, um and you know there's the we talked last time um beth about you know the notion of of rest as you know resistance and it's just so so important um you know so for for me you know my practices are you know are grounded in a lot of um you know meditation a lot of um reflective practices I um, do a lot of, of body work, you know, for myself in terms of yoga, uh, in terms of um, getting acupuncture and, and, you know, when I am in a good flow, um, you know, includes Tai Chi as well. I, um, I got into energy healing and Reiki a few years ago and um you know, it was, it was kind of, you know, again, accidental. It was, it was when I was going through that, um, that flare up with lupus and, mm-hmm. and fibromyalgia. And I was just looking for all of the things, like, what are all of the things that can yep. be, that can serve me? And I went to a Reiki practitioner. She taught me how to do self Reiki. And, um, and she often, she offered, um, you know, free Reiki to a community um, and so I, I trained to, to become a, a Reiki level one and level two practitioner. And the first time that I like laid hands on a person, it was, it was magic. I mean, Reiki is magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, I do quite a bit of, of meditation and, and energy healing as, as a way of um, filling up the cup yeah. as a, as a way of um, connecting to something that's greater than, than myself, which is very grounding, very grounding for me. And uh, I look for, for ways of bringing healing into my racial justice practice. You know, they're, they need to be intertwined. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there, I was in a, um, um, some storytelling project for Pepperdine that I cannot remember the name to at the moment. I think it was the long gray line. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where I talked about how racial equity isn't the thing that you do, it's something, you know, who you are, it's who you are, yeah. it's cellular. Um, and so any of the, the justice work that we seek to do or liberation work that we seek to do has to happen in the mind, the body, the soul, the spirit, um, mm-hmm. and one's energy. And, and so I, um, you know, right now where I am is, is looking for ways of, of more um, tightly braiding in energy work with a lot of the capacity building and organizational change work that, that we do. And, 
Um, you know, I just, I just feel like if, you know, if all of us could, you know, have, you know, a, a mindset for change and for growth, we're tapped into something greater than ourselves, you know, could become energy healers or whatever. Um, and, you know, had a, an understanding of freedom and liberation, like what, like, what can't we do? You know, mm-hmm. the, the possibilities are just, uh, are just endless. So yes, healing, rest, um, and not viewing those things as selfish or, mm-hmm. you know, viewing those things as, um, you know, distracting from the quote unquote work. It's just so important. Like you cannot undersell it. Yeah. And um, just because I'm imagining uh, folks who are listening in who are saying to themselves, I'm already on the interweb. Um, I wonder what Reiki is. I'll have to remember to go look it up after the show. Uh-huh. Um, maybe what is Reiki? A little bit of, of your experience with Reiki. Yeah. So, um, you know, Reiki is, is energy healing. Um, Reiki is, is a practice of, for me, is a practice of, um, you know, becoming in tune with the universe, the energy, spirit, whatever sort of thing is divine or however you characterize, characterize the divine it's um, my way of tapping into it, of really feeling connected to source. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the healing aspect of it is, is being a, a conduit, really, just being a conduit for, um, you know, bringing all of the, the healing that's, that's needed, that exists in, you know, the, the energy around us, the, 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 you know, the energy fields really around us. And then directing that into a person and where that healing needs to go, um, you know, just being a, a conduit and an amplifier, um, you know, director of that. It's really, I think sometimes, you know, folks think about energy healing and they, you know, conjure up, you know, things that are coming from me, sort of my energy going into another person. And really that's not, mm-hmm. that's not the case. I'm, I'm helping you know, a person to become more connected to everything that's healing and nourishing in the world around us. And, um, you know, in doing so, I am, you know, re-energizing my connection to that source as well. Um, it's, it's indescribable mm-hmm. and everyone can do it. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's anyone can do it should you want to. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think of it as as uh, helping people connect to the wisdom in their own bodies mm. and trust that uh, the energy is going to meet people where it's most needed. Yep, yep. And um, and just the as you say, the accessibility of it for both self and other. Mm-hmm. And. Um, you know, when you talk about bringing more of this healing into the work that you do, um, part of me thinks it's part of your DNA and your being that mm. it just shows up with you when you show up. Yeah, yeah, I think that you're. I think you're absolutely right. It's it's part of holding space. Um, <laughs> it's it's absolutely holding space, and it is you know, how, you know, at least my point of view when it comes to 
um, human development and organization development. Um, you know, you, you, you meet people where they are. Um, and first they have to want to be well, you know, the question mm -hmm. is, do you want to be well? And if you do, I can meet you where you are. Um, and, and I love the phrase tapping into one's inner wisdom because we all have it. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, obscured or obfuscated by other competing motivations, but, um, you know, Reiki in terms of, you know, sending the healing energy to where it needs to go. Um, similarly, like we go into organizations, we meet you where you are, um, and, you know, try to help you learn how to, you know, repair your wounds, build new skin, you know, build something new. Um, you know, really, I, I view wayfinding, we are, we're conduits for change, really. Yeah. Um, and partnering with you in, in the way that, um, you know, I see my Reiki practice as partnering with a person's healing. Yeah. And how is that any different in the work that you do? You're partnering right. with clients in support of their healing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And when you reflect on um, the clients that you work with and the change that uh, you're being called to support and amplify, what do you say to leaders who are seeing that now is the time to embark on this work? I say welcome. And, um, you know, I, I, I start with welcome so I can convey that, you know, the work has been going for decades longer, you know, than I've been around, than my parents have been around, than my grandparents have been around. So welcome. Uh, what are your goals? You know, what is the liberation that you seek? What does freedom look like for you? And um, are you ready to fully see everything that's happening around you and the ways in which that will or can or the ways in which that you need to change your worldview or open your worldview to some new ways of understanding in order to engage in justice work justice work requires us to be able to see something that doesn't yet exist um, to live one foot in that world while being able to live one foot in the world where we currently live and um, welcome. And are you ready? Yeah. Are, you, are you ready? Yeah, because a piece of this work is about helping people see mm -hmm. with a view that once seen, it can no longer be unseen. Yes, yes. Exactly. And once, once, you know, someone can realize, you know, like that, um, oh my gosh, Monday mind blanking, um, you know, that one's liberation is tied with mine. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you can truly embody that, you know, then I, then we can go far, we can mm -hmm. go far together. Um, you know, this isn't, you know, work for black folks. This isn't work for, 
you know, other people of color for indigenous folks, you know, we're not talking about black history. We're talking about all of us. This is all of us. Um, You know, structural oppression is something that makes all of us sick, Um, you know, white folks included. And, you know, if you are able to see that, if you are able to, you know, then believe that, I can support you in, you know, finding the, um, you know, the, the wherewithal, the resilience, helping you find those, you know, inner faculties that you have to be an agent of change in this work. Um, but the very first thing is, you know, can you see, are you willing to see this with me? Um, and are you ready to, to change based on what it is that you come to understand? Mm-hmm. And wouldn't that be a powerful message for us all that our shared humanity, our shared liberation mm-hmm. is interconnected, intertwined, and mm-hmm. cannot be separated? Yes. Yes. Um, what then becomes possible, I think, all of the things, all of the things, all of the possibilities come into play. If we can truly understand the interconnectedness of all things. And Reiki does that for me too. Mm-hmm. Like Reiki is, is, you know, a, a fundamental intertwining, it, you know, mm-hmm. showing how, how we're all connected in ways that we can't fully explain or understand. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and, and isn't it wonderful that we don't need to explain it? Yes. We get an opportunity to lean into it and see it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a short break and then we'll be back with Megan Scott to talk about resilience in you. We look forward to welcoming you back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. At Dreamcatcher Consulting, Beth Page helps her clients assess and build resilience initiatives that support and strengthen resilience. Visit dreamcatcher-consulting.com for more information about the Resilience at Work assessment for teams, leaders, and individuals in a company environment. Beth is an accredited Resilience at Work consultant in North America who works with clients from all over the world. Find your resilience. Reach out to Beth now at dreamcatcher-consulting.com. Check out and order the second edition of Change Happens. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access all the time. There are two types of leaders in business. Those who are nice, compassionate people. And frankly, they are the people who fail to get a lot done. Then there are those who can get everything done and so much more. But they are greedy, unethical, and self-centered. The Compassionate Samurai Business Hour with Kathy Fairbanks finds a way to use the best of both types of leaders to help you create a dynamic roadmap to success. Tune in every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. This is Resilience in You with Beth Page. We invite you to send questions or comments about the show via email to beth at dreamcatcher-consulting.com. That's beth at dreamcatcher-consulting.com. Now back to Resilience in You. We're back with uh, Megan Scott, Change Luminary, looking to make a positive difference in the world. And uh, starting with focusing on her own resilience as a way to nourish herself and um, be that much more resourced for her work with clients. And for our listeners, you know, getting down to what are the practical strategies that serve you and your resilience on a, on a daily, weekly, monthly, annual kind of cadence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This will feel practical for other abstract thinkers like myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this isn't a from 9 to 9.30, I do this, followed by, yeah, no, I got it. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I grew up, you know, with, with parents who told me that, you know, finding the right question is more important than having the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, kind of connected to that metaphor and story or everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, my, the practical advice, the coaching advice that I tend to give leaders who I work with is, you know, find your metaphor. What is the metaphor that, um, that calls to you? What is the metaphor for how you, um, engage and change and, you know, how you want to, um, how you want to be and how you understand the world. So for example, um, you know, when I learned that, when I learned what emergence was Mm -hmm. and the, the, um, you know, the psychology, the physics, the sociology, biology, um, beneath it. And if you, if anyone is listening, you want to Google videos of starlings just to see murmuration (laughs) and emergence, in practice, um, that clicked for me. So like when I learned that observing patterns, um, you know, can be more effective, you know, than having rigid models, um, Mm -hmm. observing and naming patterns was key to helping folks sort of see themselves that they could actually shift their mindsets and change their behavior. Um, you know, that called to me to develop a practice of being more attuned more aware of myself, more present, more appreciative of context. Um, and that those for me are, are my most important, you know, ingredients for resilience, because that's what wayfinding is. You know, that's mm-hmm. how I created wayfinding. It's being attuned. Um, and so finding the right metaphor for you, where you can understand yourself, where you can understand how the world works around you um, is so important because you can cling on to metaphor when crises arise, you can cling on to metaphor. Um, your brain is wired for metaphor and story. Um, and that can become your North star when things become super chaotic and you have no idea what it is you're doing. 
And when you're a leader starting to do racial equity work, you likely have no idea what it is you're doing. And that is fine. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. is, that is fine. Um, but what's the story? You know, where are you trying to go? Who are you and who do you want to be? Um, that is my little piece of practical advice. Develop a reflective practice, I guess, mm-hmm. would be the other thing that I wish everyone would do. Journal, yeah. think in the bathtub some some reflective practice yeah i i often think of reflective practice as um at a client who used to refer to it as her strategic thinking time mm-hmm. and for me it's more than that it's an opportunity to connect in and have a conversation with your wise self mm-hmm. and without the pause to do that we just keep going in this chronic next 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 mm-hmm. um and golly, decades can go by in a chronic next mm-hmm. yeah. situation. Yeah. For the um, the OD nerds out there, there's, um, you know, Viktor Frankl between mm-hmm. stimulus and response. There's a space. Um, that space is where your freedom is. That space is mindfulness, which leads to choicefulness, which leads to intentionality. Mm-hmm. And um, your reflective practice lives in that that space. Um, there's so much stimulus around us and we re- we're reacting all the time. If you can create some space, like pay attention to that yeah. space, freedom lives in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm reminded of Oliver Wendell Holmes, who said that music exists because of the silence between yes. the notes. Yes, absolutely. I love, I've, I've forgotten about that and about that quote. And I love that quote. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um, as you think of the symbolism of metaphor, mm-hmm. the importance of reflective practice, the value of um, ongoing attention to energetic healing, what are the reminders you offer yourself to keep yourself nourished for this work? It's about being more than doing, showing up and being present, trying again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about, you know, I, I do this so that someone else doesn't have to. Um, and there's joy. There has to be joy somewhere. Find the joy. Mm. Even if it's small, um, you know, there's a tiny pocket of joy living somewhere. And if it's your earlobes, it's somewhere. Um, And so it's important, so important to find that tiny pocket of joy because that's nourishing in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And what an important reminder that uh, we have uh, joy uh, if we're listening in on this call. <laughs> There's some aspect of joy that has created the space to take a moment to listen in. Mm-hmm. And what's giving you joy these days? Oh, we are about to start a garden it's turning into spring, early summer here in, in the DC area. We're going to grow 
vegetables and fruits and my husband's going to turn into a farmer and I'm a farmer's wife. So that's bringing a little bit of joy. Uh, it's bringing a little bit of joy to the world. It kind of, you know, brings us back to the fact that we are humans and we need to eat and live with the land um, that we, that we are, are lucky that we are um, blessed to have. So that's, that's bringing a little bit of joy and um I am looking forward to traveling in the near future, fully vaxxed. Mm -hmm. That's bringing me some, some joy. When my mom gets fully vaxxed, we can hug. Looking mm -hmm. forward to hugs. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. And I'm appreciating that you're, um, you have some looking forwards too. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, my uh, grandfather who, uh, uh, descended as um, uh, from family who immigrated from Ireland amidst the Great Famine. Uh, his message around growing your own garden um, uh, was, uh, if you have food, uh, your family will always be fed. Mm. And I think um, as a descendant of somebody who came from the Great Famine, that's a pretty simple and powerful message of grow something. Yeah. Inside yourself, in the world, around you, um, because it, that that, um, that privilege of food that you've grown yourself is pretty meaningful. Mm -hmm. um, the first time I, uh, my first year in the, the place where I currently live, a friend of mine sent me seeds. Um, because I had talked about the fact that I had a side yard with some garden beds in it. And I thought to myself, what's the worst that could happen? And I tossed them all in the ground. And then in August, oh my goodness. And um, fortunately around that time, a group of women offered a canning class and I went and took it and came home every week and went and got all the vegetables and did all the stuff. And then went back the next week and learned something new and rinse, repeat. Um, and still, I, I think back on that. What was I thinking when I put all those seeds in the <laughs> ground? So, Megan, as we talk about growing things um, and uh, resilience, what final comments would you like to share? I would love to share that there is so much beauty amongst struggle, amongst pain. And it's, you know, to your point that, you know, music doesn't exist without the silence in between the moments. All of the things that are, are happening to us are, are happening for some, you know, unknown reason. There's usually some purpose that's not always made clear to us. Uh, everything is happening. And you have the ability, you have the, the, the choice to, to fit it into a narrative that makes sense to you, into a narrative that is, that is serving you. Um, there, is, there is choice in you know, waking up as I did this morning and, and seeing the news of yet another unarmed person um, whose life was cut down too soon. And there was choice that I had. There was choice to go back to bed. There was choice to, um, to wake up and, and get ready for this amazing conversation 
that I've had with you and, you know, all the places that it's, it's led to, I will, um, I'll be completely honest. I did a little bit of both. <laughs> I went right back to that, like, why? What's the point? Um, and then I woke up to, to some possibility. So, you know, I, I want to leave folks with the fact that there's possibility everywhere. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm often asking, you know, what might become possible if dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. Um, and to push ourselves out of that, um, thinking that things can only be the way that they are, mm-hmm. what can be possible if, you know, what am I uniquely situated to do today? Um, being present. Those are the things yeah. that I'd like to be to leave with people being present. Wonderful. And, um, I'm grateful to, for the gift of your presence today. As we've talked about uh, growth, joy, resilience, choice, and uh, tomorrow is another day mm-hmm. and there's work to do. Yes. And may we resource ourselves so that we're ready to engage in this uh, all-important um, opportunity and possibility that yes. exists with a new day. And as we bring uh, today to a close, um, consider what fills you up. Could it be as simple as a mug of tea? Mm. An opportunity to step into nature, an opportunity to plant your bare feet on the ground. Please come back and join us again next week. I'm Beth Page. This is Resilience in You. And my special guest has been Megan Scott of Wayfinding Partners. Change Luminary friend, and fabulous human. Have a great week, everyone. May it be resilient for you. Thank you for tuning in to Resilience and You. Please join your host, Beth Page, again next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This week, if you find that you're facing some personal stress, try to find your calm. Be resilient 